0: Penny Lane, there is a barber shop
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a penny of your thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We have a special uh, program for you today. We have a guest the first hour and a guest in the second hour, and both are going to be terrific. And you're invited to call at the three five six nine three nine seven, or you can uh, text them at the three five one five three five seven. After uh, ten o'clock, we'll visit with the state's attorney in the Champaign County, Julia Reeds. <clears throat> but I'm uh, so pleased to uh, hear in the uh, first hour to have. Jimmy John Liotteau. He's the founder, owner, and chairman of the Jimmy John's uh, sandwich chain. I appreciate uh, Jimmy coming out on such a wet uh, morning. You know, Jimmy, we've been around uh, a long time. You have been around here for a while, and uh, so have I, but I think this is the first time I've had you on uh, this program, and I'm so pleased. We're just going to chat for about an hour, and you probably think, well, everybody knows my story because I've told it so many times, but. This is a transient community here, and a lot of people probably would like to know how you built this chain of sandwich shops, and who helped along the way, and some of the difficulties you may have overcome, and that kind of thing. So, thanks for being here. Nice to
2: see you. Oh, it's really nice to be here, Jim. It's a it's a privilege. Thank you.
1: Well, uh, when you and I uh, kind of talked about this and set it up, it was out at the uh, the ribbon cutting of the. Kickapoo Rail Trail, and I just wanted to mention this before we uh, start on your your career that I know you uh, you and your family and your your company are very kind to uh, take a uh, take part in that uh, with your uh, with your backing uh, money. Might as well say it. You gave them uh, some money to uh, to help them and talk about what that uh, trail means. I I was just saying before we went on the air, a lot of people are using it. They seem to be
2: enjoying it. Yeah, the, uh, the, the trail is, is an extraordinary addition to our community. Um, uh, and, and first of all, just to preempt that what made me so excited about, uh, about giving to that, it was so easy. I read the article, you know, there was t- 10, 20 years of work that went into getting this thing together. I don't really know what, what it was, but it was a lot of time and a lot of people and a lot of effort. And the last missing piece was $150,000 short to finish it. And here, a project that was, you know, right at the finish line, and and I did the easiest part, which was write a check for $150,000 to finish it. Um, I, you know, what I did was had, it was a very small part of uh, compared to the effort made by so many, and the impact to have that trail, <clears throat> be able to leave this town and and to go into nature in, in a safe way uh, and ride your bicycle all. The way to St. Joe, and have the great restaurants there that that are there right on the trail. It's a it's it, it's an extraordinary addition to the community, and, and I'm I'm actually shocked at at how busy it is uh, from walkers, runners, people pushing babies, and, and and of course bicycles. So that was an easy one for us to do. Um, you know, I, we you know we what we did was significant but insignificant compared to uh, to the work that it took to get it to to make it happen.
1: Yeah, a lot of people have put uh, blood, sweat, and tears into that. <laughs> the money is important, but uh, so is that work, as you have just described. Well, I want to go back to your high school days as I read through some of your materials in the last uh, few days. Uh, it said that uh, you graduated second to last in your class at Elgin uh, Academy uh,
2: what happened to the guy that finished last? Uh, Craig Schumacher. <laughs> Craig what is do doing very that? well. He's, uh, he's actually one of the most successful classmates. He's, uh, he's a buyer for uh, one of the big lumber companies uh, in the upper northwest. Uh, he's based in Chicago, and, and, he's, uh, uh, and he's a, he's a big-time <clears throat> lumber buyer, and, he, and he's been incredibly successful. Um, uh, so uh, he and I have actually uh, done okay. Um, so that's what he's doing. He's living in Chicago, and we actually stay pretty close.
1: So uh, when you got out, uh, you had uh, a couple of uh, choices there. Your father uh, gave you the choices, and there were two of them. What were they?
2: Yeah, it was, um, well, first of all, I couldn't live at home. And it was go to the Army or, or start a business or get a job, but basically if I'm not going to go to college, I had to be self-sustaining. He was not going to uh, uh, provide any sort of uh, uh, you know sustainability program or live in the basement uh, type of a program for me. So he said to me... You know, if you want to start a business, go ahead. And and I had I had aspirations of of opening a, a little Chicago hot dog stand, much like Portillo's, that's here now. But but basically, you know, maybe about food truck size. And um, I wanted to I wanted to sell hot dogs and tamales and French fries and Italian beef sandwiches. And and so <clears throat> I'd graduated from high school in, in June of 1982, and I I visited hot dog stands around the Chicago area, and after I visited. Uh, I'm going to say 20, 30, 40 hot dog stands. It was obvious to me, a, what I had to have on the menu, and b, uh, the equipment that I needed to have in order to 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 make the 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 menu that I wanted to make. And so uh, from there, it was about uh, early June of '82. I started about mid June of '82. I went to my local library in Cary, Illinois, Cary Public Library, and I got the yellow pages. And in Chicago, which is now the very hot West Loop area, was storefront after storefront of used restaurant equipment houses. And I went down there with my list of equipment. I'm 18 years old. And I, excuse me. I I went to the, all the stores and and the best price that I got on used equipment for my package was $43,000 and and I went home to uh, to my father and I said dad I I'm going to need some more money and my father said sorry you know $25,000 is the budget and I said okay and he was serious
1: (laughs) plan b coming up
2: plan b and and it was just random that i went to visit a friend of mine down at southern illinois university and there was a little sandwich shop down there that i I, it was totally serendipitous that i that i walked into it was called booby sandwiches and they they had sandwiches and they had literally a meat slicer a refrigerator and a small refrigerated sort of make table and a coca-cola refrigerator and and a cash register and in that refrigerator was cheese meat uh, uh soda pop and different types of beer and and they had bagged bread and you would order a sandwich and get a beer and get a bag of chips and and there was no equipment and and when i saw no equipment and a restaurant business <laughs> i figured out that i could that i uh-huh. could that <laughs> <It> was an <laughs> aha moment so <clears throat> from that moment And from that moment, I I expanded my research and and went to – I furthered out and and went to other uh, sandwich shops. You know, know, I I went up to Milwaukee. I went to Madison. As I became aware of sandwiches, and at the time, Subway was not baking in the stores. And I I went into uh, a sandwich shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin that that had a Hobart bread mixer, and they mixed their own bread dough. And they made these great sandwiches on this homemade bread, and it was delicious. And this was back in 1982, and their their soda pop was – they had sixteen ounce returnable bottles, and so you got a soda. And you, when you gave them the bottle back, they gave you your dime back, which was the deposit for the bottle. But I did, but but I did taste really, really good bread for the first time. And uh, and from that moment, I immediately left Milwaukee and went right back to that library. And I got books on baking bread. It's now July of eighty two, and I started to bake bread uh, in my mother's kitchen. And 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 I baked bread for about a week, and I came up with a bread that was pretty good. Uh, I liked it anyway. And uh, and then I would go back and forth from my house to the Dominic's grocery store in Crystal Lake, Illinois, and get meats and cheeses uh, based on the, all these menus I had collected. And I went home and I made sandwiches. So by about August of '82, I came up with six sandwiches I liked pretty good. And. Um, Uh, I invited all my family and aunts and uncles over to the house and, and they voted on four of them that, that they liked. And the original sandwiches were, were the, uh, were the, uh, ham and cheese sub, the, uh, the turkey, uh, the tuna and the Italian. Uh, so those were the four original sandwiches. So, uh, that's August of 82. Uh, from there, I, I, my, my older brother Greg was coming from the Army in November of 1982, and he was going to go to Eastern Illinois on the GI Bill, and I had two cousins at Eastern Illinois. And so I chose Eastern Illinois as the location for my first sandwich shop because the family was there. So I, I got in my car. I had a great Chevy Citation. It was a great car. I loved it. I drove down to Eastern <laughs> Illinois University, and I leased a space. Uh, 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 for or I, I leased an apartment to live in, and I leased a space for the first Jimmy John sandwich shop. And uh, you want me to keep going on this one? It's
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, yeah, we got a long way to go. Uh, we got a call here. Let's uh, see what uh, Eric has to say. Then we'll get back to your your first shop. Sure. I know in the in some of your stores you have a picture of the one up on uh, Springfield and Madison has a picture of the uh, the first one down at Charleston.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure does. And we're putting that in all the stores now.
1: And, uh, Eric, you have a question for Jimmy John?
3: Oh, yes, a question and a comment. Uh, Jimmy John, nice talking to you. I, I used to work across the street at Amdocs over there on Fox Drive, so I had, had a great appreciation for seeing the Ferrari he was driving by every once in a while. I sure. I appreciate, appreciate a man who loves a, a fine piece of machinery such as those. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see.
2: Yeah, the, the problem um, is once you can afford them, you can't get in and out of them. That's the worst thing about them, but they are beautiful. <laughs> oh, awesome
3: cars. Thank uh, two you. Two questions for you. One, um, I'm from the uh, South Suburbs originally. Have you ever heard of a sandwich shop called Unbeatable Eatables in Country Club Hills? I have not. Okay, well, it was my my favorite place to go locally before you know I ever saw Jimmy John's down here. So give it a shot if you ever get a chance. Unbeatable Eatables was really good. I'll
2: check other it out. The question
3: was, other question was um, my wife is from Canada, and I always wondered. Uh, I never saw any locations in Canada. It seemed like there was an entire market there that's... Uh, not uh, 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 familiar with your product. Is, is that something you guys ever looking into, or, or why haven't you?
2: Well, absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, funny you should say that because that that that's going to be our first international expansion. It's pretty much, it's a no brainer going into Toronto, and so we will be in Canada pretty soon. And, and I would say. In the next 12 to 18 months, you'll probably start seeing our first stores in Toronto. Um, But, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. It is a logical thing to do. But America is so big. Um, We've got about 2,800 Jimmy John's restaurants in, in, in America. And uh, and I think there's about twenty five, twenty eight thousand subways in America. So if if you could imagine the market for sandwiches here, is 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 is, is very very big. Um I had an opportunity to put a thousand units in Australia a couple of years back with the the guy that operates all the Domino's pizzas down there and 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 a brand called Hungry Jacks, which is basically burger king and uh, and i didn't do it because of the the time and the distance there's so much to do here in america that uh, i just you know i'm spread thin i i i'm not educated and so this has all been organic and so um you know i think i've i've hit my my i've, I've been peaking for a long time but uh, toronto and canada is a no-brainer so that'll be coming soon
1: okay let's go to uh, another caller this also is eric hi eric
3: hello uh hi gentlemen uh was that cousin Subs in, in Milwaukee?
2: Cousin Subs in Milwaukee. Yes, what a great chain it was. Yeah, is that
3: was—is that the one you uh, that you were kind of on, the, checking their bread on?
2: Yeah, that's the one. That's the one that 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 turned me on to homemade bread and great sandwiches, and they are terrific.
3: Yes, they are. Well, yours are. As well, I just want to let somebody else get in. Thank you, sir.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, Bill is next. Hi, Bill.
3: Hi, guys. Uh, Jimmy, I've met you a few times out at
0: Flight Star, but I just want the public to know how much uh, we at Crisis Nursery appreciate all you've done at Crisis Nursery. The uh, new building there they've got that you helped pay for, the common area there in the center they call Camp Jack Pine is just terrific. Uh, things you do for Crisis Nursery need to be lauded, and I, I really appreciate you for doing that.
2: Oh it's a it's a privilege. It's a thank you very much. I appreciate that.
1: I appreciate the call. Uh, Ed let's uh take a quick break here. We'll come right back and uh, take more calls and uh, talk more about uh Jimmy John and uh, the Jimmy John's uh, sandwich chain. Take the call first. We're back with uh Jimmy John Leotol. He's the founder owner and the chairman of uh, Jimmy John's sandwich chain. Got a long way to go to tell his story, but we're Certainly uh, pleased to uh, take your questions as we go along as well. And uh, JR is next. Hi, J.R.
3: Hey, how are you guys doing today?
1: We're doing great. How about you, man?
3: Oh, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, I go to the Jimmy John's on Green Street, and then people in there are so polite, the young kids. You wouldn't believe it. And uh, the sandwiches are freaky good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very
2: much. I appreciate that. I wish all the comments were like yours, so thank you. <laughs>
3: Them guys uh they really uh work their teamwork together and they, they really love their job it looks like.
2: Yeah, they do. They do. They're their hearts in it for sure. You guys take care. Thank, Thank you. you. JR. So uh well, you're
1: making this bread. You're trying to find the exact uh, uh the one that you like and the one that other people uh, like trying and that that must be because bread is uh, is one of the big things in uh when you only got sandwiches, you better have some good bread,
2: right? Absolutely, you better have some good bread. Funny story for you about the bread dough. I, I was on one of my trips going to the Dominic's grocery store in Crystal Lake, and I was going to the deli, and I walked through the freezer section, and in the freezer section was a bag of a frozen oh maybe one pound loaves of dough. Maybe there were five in there, and it was it was Rich's frozen bread dough. And I grabbed a bag of that frozen dough, and I brought it home to my house, and I thawed that that dough out. I thawed it out. I stretched it out and made it into like a a French bread loaf and I baked it and it was way better bread than any of the bread that I had made and so I looked at that on the label and it said Rich's Frozen Products. I believe it was Poughkeepsie, New York if if I can remember correctly. It was 35 years ago and at the time 212 was the New York area code and you could dial on your rotary phone 212-555-1212 and that was directory assistance to get a phone number And and I asked for the phone number Rich's Frozen Products in new york i got the phone number i called the phone number and i said uh and the and the, the woman answered you know rich's frozen price i said may i speak to mr rich and she says one moment please so the guy gets on the phone and if i can remember says this is bob rich <laughs> and i said mr rich my name is jimmy john and and i i i tried your bread dough and i'd really like to use your bread dough in a new sandwich shop i want to open in illinois he says you're he said you're opening a sandwich shop in illinois i said i am he says you got to speak to my friend. Uh, uh, I think Lou Ganella at Ganella Bread Company in Chicago. He's building a frozen dough factory in Schaumburg, Illinois. And he said, "Let me get, let me have your number, and I'll call you back." So he calls me back. He said, "He said, you know where Schaumburg, Illinois is. You know where this address is. <laughs> uh, 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 here's a number for Mister Ganella. He'll see you tomorrow, and you can go on there and you can you can talk to him about frozen bread dough." So I said okay so I called I called the phone number he picks up the phone invites me down to this 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 factory in Schaumburg Illinois which was very close to where I lived in Cary I drive there and there's a hard hat with my name on it Jimmy John and and his name on it he had a hard hat and and uh, uh and it was a kind of a construction site so I was it was like a small factory with a big addition going on it so I I put the hard hat on and he takes me into this this room and he's got all these breads all these french breads that 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 they had baked and he said let's let's play with some bread and so we played with some bread and played with some bread and made some bread and and it was a couple of days and and came up with a terrific bread i said would you make this bread for me he says sure i will and here was two guys just kind of having fun with a little kid i mean these guys had to be in their <laughs> mid 60s at the time i know mr rich is gone now and so is mr ganella but they they toyed with me and uh and today I am actually uh, the Genella family's largest uh uh customer and uh, and 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 that is the that is the bread dough today and they're they're making the Jimmy John's bread dough for us and uh and shipping it around the country and it's that history uh and there's a couple of 100 Genella family members now that are you know that are part of this uh, this family business and so we've stayed with them over the years and it's it's really a great story You'd really hear yeah, that. It must
1: have been uh, fun. Uh, two guys in the room playing with the bread dough, like uh, a...
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
1: what little kids do, play with that uh, play dough. you know?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, they had, I'm sure neither of them had any idea, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great story of, of well-intended guys, and it all worked out.
1: So you open up in uh, Charleston, Illinois. Uh, well, I understand you took sandwiches around at the uh, dorms when uh, things were going kind of slow. That was about 1983 or so, but... Uh, at the end of that uh, first year, uh, no military for Jimmy John. You, you made it, right? Yeah, at the
2: end of the first year. The deal with my dad, Jim, was um, he owned 48% and I owned 52%. If the business succeeded, he owned 48%. If it failed, I didn't have to pay him back the 25000 but I'd go to the Army for two years. And so, anyway, the first year in business, we did $154,000 in sales, and we made $40,000 profit. I got paid 200 bucks a week. I did, I worked back with the hours that I'd worked, I got that which turned into about 90 cents an hour is what I made the first year at Jimmy John's for my $200 a week salary, but we made 40000 profit, okay, so we split that $52,48, and then the second year we did $188,000 in sales, made about $55,000 in profit, and we split that $48,52, and I had saved the both, I saved my first year's money, and the second year's portion of the profit I saved, and then I bought my father out, and about about May of 1985, I became the sole shareholder of, of Jimmy John's, um, and then I went to Western Illinois University and uh, and opened up my second store uh, uh, in, at that time in, in 85, and then and uh, I, I moved there for a year, and then I moved to Champaign and I opened up my third store here uh, at 41 East Green Street in in. Uh, uh, in 1986 and, uh, and basically from 1984 to 1994, I had moved to 10 different cities and opened up 10. Different Jimmy John sandwich shops, and, and by 1994 I had ten stores going, and um, and in 1994 I actually made a million dollars in profit in 1994, and uh, so that's a, that was a that was a huge milestone uh, for me, uh, and, and it wasn't it wasn't a goal, it just it was it just happened, and my accountant happened to say, by the way, you made a mil-, you know we made a million dollars last year, and I said, oh, am I a millionaire? And he said, well, I I guess you probably would be, and I said, okay, <laughs> that's that, that is what it is. But, um... The uh, the cool thing about it was as I was traveling and and moving to these different towns, I I really wanted my managers to to treat the con- the customer the the way that I treated them, which as the owner, which is I really wanted to serve the customer, and I found it difficult. And and then and the re the way that it ended up working very well is I as I as I as I, as I carved out twenty five percent of the profit of the store and gave it to the manager and had full disclosure, total transparent uh, on the numbers, and so every month we would get together and review review the, 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 the deposits, which was the income and all of the checks that we wrote a, against the store for the month. And what was left was the profit and loss and the, or profit or loss. And, and it, we would give them the, uh, you know, their share of the profit. And so what happened was it enabled me a, a, to be able to go out and move to another town. And, and they, just by the way the, the, the incentive was designed, it enabled me to be able to go and open up new stores and have my customers taken care of. So what's amazing. It's it's counterintuitive, but by giving away a big piece of the profit, it enabled me to grow the business. It it it, it, it's illogical, but it works really it works really really well, and and uh, and that's the way that that's really the foundation of of what we've done, you know, and how we've grown to this date by sharing.
1: We're going to have to take a news break here in just a moment, but I want to ask you uh, if you could uh, quickly to tell us about uh, Jamie Coulter. Uh, what uh, what role did uh, Jamie Coulter play?
2: Uh, Jamie Coulter was was a Pizza Hut operator that I met in 1987, and 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 Jamie, uh, uh, he went on to found Lone Star Steakhouse and Saloon and, uh, and, and, and bought Del Frisco's and grew it and created Sullivan Steakhouses, but Jamie Coulter picked me up in 1987. I met him. He had 26 Pizza Huts, and Jamie was a mentor to me and he showed me how to run these restaurants with the with the systems that he used in his Pizza Hut stores and he made twice as much profit at his stores compared to the Pizza Hut chain at the time. And he showed with me how to do weekly financial statements, how to do peak period evaluations. He taught me if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. He taught me transparency, full disclosure. Um, you know, Jamie has been was a mentor of mine, and he really is a big part of my success. And, and uh, he's been on my board and been my friend and, and still is to this well, day. Helped
1: you with the locations,
2: too, didn't he? Helped me with real estate, helped me with operations manuals, helped me with accounting. Um, and, and basically was an m- incredible cheerleader and a champion and a mentor uh, and was really fortunate.
1: Franchising has uh, been a, a big part of the growth. We're going to talk about that after the uh, news headlines here with uh, Brian Barnhart. We're visiting with Jimmy John Leotol. You're certainly invited to uh, call at uh, 356-9397, or you can text us a comment or a question at three five one five three five seven. 357 Here's Brian. Oh, we're having some fun here. You can uh, join us if you'd uh, like at three five six nine three nine seven. Well, we got uh, all the way down to, uh, you had uh, 10 stores by 2002, about uh, 200 stores, and then the franchising began. And, yep. And that was the, the beginning of the growth, was it not? I mean, the, the number of uh, stores uh, multiplied uh, quickly up to the point that you have. How many now?
2: Well, uh, we have just scratching 2,800 now. Twenty eight hundred. Yeah. Uh, what are your uh, What are your plans for more? Well, we ha- we have about uh, twelve hundred stores in the pipeline right now, and those are stores that are in development or or looking for a location or or the, but they're, in, they're you know that are paid for and, and, and planned for the future. So it'll
1: be over uh, four thousand. That
2: then. that would be over four thousand if we didn't sell another franchise. But of course, we're selling. You know, we're selling all the time. And um, uh, but the, we're it, it's. Uh, you know, currently, that's what our pipeline is, and we probably open about, um, oh, uh, uh, 10 to 25 stores a month, something like that. 10 to 25 a month? Yeah. Wow.
1: Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about the the stores and the uh, training of the people that work in them because they're, as the first uh, caller, a little I guess it was about the third caller a little while ago, said uh, they, they know what they're doing. They're fast and freaky fast, and uh, they're very—I uh, uh, don't know—they have great personalities, et cetera. And those things you don't pick up uh, people off the streets and put them behind the counter. And uh, tell me about about the training, because every time I go into the one up at uh, Springfield and Mattis, there seems to be about uh, twenty people in there.
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the training, Jim. We have we have a, a what's called the Jimmy Johns University, which is here in Champagne and the we start a new class every Monday new new kids come from out of town to be certified and and become a certified jimmy johns operator and uh, we have a, a two and a three-week training program depending on if you've worked at a jimmy johns before or if you haven't and we have anywhere between 80 and 140 kids coming to town new fresh faces into champagne every every sunday beginning class on monday and they spend a week in our classroom and uh, and then after the classroom they go out in into our stores here, we break them down into 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 small groups, and also attached to several of the stores here are our small little training kitchens where where that you wouldn't know that are there, but but they're they're fully functioning Jimmy John's prep centers with meat slicers and ovens and refrigeration where people can practice doing what we do at Jimmy John's because everything is made from scratch. So they we, they we train them in there to to take the clumsy out of it and get them used to it, and then once they're used to it, we put them in the stores and actually let them do uh, real live training. So they do two to three weeks here. They get certified, mm-hmm. and then they have to go do a do an internship out in the real world. It's pretty sterile here. In the real world, the the produce guy shows up later. He tracks mud into your restaurant, and people don't show up for work, and refrigerators are broken. So they got to go get some real world experience before they then go back into into their unit and 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 run it. So um, so that's uh, that's what I can tell you. But there, there's a lot of people in Champagne um, every week. You know, there's you know 100 or 200. Of of them staying in hotels and and, and working and and learning how to to do what we do. That's not
1: bad for the economy either, is it? (laughs) No, I think that's
2: called free enterprise. I think it's uh, very good for the economy. I think it's a a win-win. Our our franchisee wins, we win, and the community wins. And I like win-win deals. I I don't like one-sided deals. They're not sustainable. So, yeah, that's a winner.
1: Let's go to uh, Tony. Good morning, Tony. Hi there. Hi, Tony. I
2: just
3: wanted to. Hey, I just want to say, Jimmy, big fan of the sandwiches, but I've always wondered why you can't uh, get pickles on them. You have to buy a full pickle and slice it yourself.
2: Well, Tony, it's your lucky day. Not anymore. We're doing sliced pickles in the stores. If you go to Jimmy John's today, uh, we're, we're slicing our pickles fresh every day, and you can go get pickles on your sandwich. So go on and do it.
4: All right, good to hear. I got a second
3: question. Sure. Is it true you fired one of your first delivery drivers, uh, Paul Platt, for not buying you concert tickets? Back
2: in the early eighties. Oh gosh, <laughs> um, you know what? Um, I that is a long time ago. I remember the name, um, and uh, and I don't remember the circumstances, uh, but I remember the name. So you would probably know better than me.
1: Let's go to uh, Ted. Hello, Ted.
2: Good morning. Good morning, uh, Jimmy. I
3: sat by you as ZZ Top Composer several years back, and then we went to breakfast. Uh, you're one of a kind. You're you're a trip.
2: Oh, thank good you, guy. thank good you, good
3: guy. Uh, question: I just tuned in. I, I caught the part about Pizza Hut uh, friend who did the Pizza Hut. Yeah. When did you know? Uh, when what, what was? When did the light bulb go off and say, "This is franchisable. This is marketable"? What what year was that? And what was kind of the circumstances? around it. It may have been asked, and excuse me if it's already been asked.
2: No, it hasn't been asked. What, what happened was, starting around the late 80s, uh, you know, early 90s, I was getting phone calls. People wanted to franchise my business. And I didn't do it, and didn't do it, and didn't do it because I was in the stores, running stores. I mean, I was, I, w- I was running, you know, running, running a store myself, and then managing seven other stores in seven other cities with seven other checkbooks and seven other bank accounts. Right. You know, it's something I never did before. So, you know, but pretty, pretty soon, the phone calls really got to be where there was a lot of them, and so I, I, I allocated the the dollars to to do the legal work and to prepare my business to be franchised, and I started in '94. And I hired some uh, professionals to run the franchise business in one thousand nine hundred and ninety four uh, They came from other other brands that are extremely well known and and I continued to run the the corporate the jimmy john 's uh, 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 our own company stores because my expertise was accounting and operations. I was a really good restaurant manager and i and i and I became a, a really good accountant just by default. I never was trained I just learned it well anyway. From 1994 to 2002 we had built 170 uh, franchised units and I love the franchise model because I didn't have to move to another community and open and close the store and, and be there and be responsible you know as the the person that had to stick the key in the door especially after doing it for, for you know for 10 and then 20 years it's it, it's a it's it's a lifestyle it's not a job it's it's 24/7 365 there's no weekends there's no nights there's no weddings there's no funerals there's no anniversaries it's a lifestyle When somebody doesn't show up or they call in sick, if you're the owner, you're there or you're out of business. So there's no, there's no, there's no, you know, there's nobody that you can, you know, it's just basically up to you. Well, anyway, what happened was in 2002, we had 20 company units and they were doing extraordinarily well. I was running them and of the 170 franchise locations, 63 were failing. So it was that point in time that my current uh, president, James North, who was a sandwich maker, is now President and CEO of Jimmy John's, he's 38 years old, lives here in Champaign. Well, James in 2002 said, Jimmy, I think we should stop selling franchises and we should go on the road and turn these stores around. And I had just spent 20 years on the road. My children were, were six, you know, three and two. Uh, I got married late, and and the last thing in the world I wanted to do was go on the road and turn around 63 failing sandwich shops, and James talked me into it. He said, Jimmy, it's the right thing to do. So we stopped selling franchises in 2002, and and, and we went off to turn these stores around, and and uh, I, I, of, of the 170, 70 were failing. We turned around 63 of them. We shut down seven of them, and, and from that day forward, now it's about 2004, from that day forward, what we did. Is we really slowed down on, on, on the sale and started to tell people about the reality of this business. It's incredibly difficult. It's nights. It's weekends. If people don't show up for work. The you know it's a you got to prep it every single morning, every afternoon, every evening. Um, it, it, it's it's very very difficult. Are you sure you want to be in this business? After we tell them the reality of this business, if they still want to be in the business with us, and we think that they really get it and their hearts in it, we sell them a franchise. Well, the result of that disciplined, full disclosure, transparent approach to franchising, which nobody ever did, including sharing with them the financials of of the business, which also nobody did... Um, what happened was we ended up being the most successful uh, franchise SBA loan in America and I think we still are today the lowest failure rate highest performing uh, 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 food franchise in the SBA portfolio and that was a result of the discipline that we put into place in 2004 telling people the truth about the reality of this business so so really it's um, you know it, so here we are today. You know, it's really a byproduct of, of the process. We we never had a business plan. We never, I never planned to have a business this good. I just, I just wanted people to succeed. I wanted people to win. I uh, I wanted to make it a win win. And 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 here we are today. My goodness, uh, uh, you know this yeah. was this was not the plan.
1: I'm going to uh, audition for one of your commercials. You ready for this? Go for it. Jimmy John's. What took you so long? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I yeah. love that one. That's a great commercial. That's a great commercial.
1: <laughs> and then you got the one with the uh, the Asians uh, sitting around. The table. Everybody's mad till you bring the sandwiches.
2: That's right. That's right. That now uh,
1: we we got a bunch of calls and we got the several people that have sent us text messages. So I don't want to get too deeply into the advertising, but uh, can you? Uh, quickly, uh, tell me where that uh, come you do some of it here, I know, but uh, some of those others must be done someplace else that 's big time stuff
2: yeah, it is big time stuff, so w- what we do is w- w- when we do commercials in the past, we never like to discount and we never like to 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 do two for ones. We wanted people to come to jimmy john 's to come and get a great sandwich and we and, and so what we do with those commercials were really designed to show that we're that when you call us we'll be there and uh and they and a little bit of humor and a little bit of fun with it and uh and the foreign language was fun because I, that was just my idea i thought it would get people's attention if during a commercial break they got up to go get a to get a soda or whatever it was that they would hear the foreign language on tv and i thought it might get their attention but, but <laughs> so we did it in latino we did the asian we did uh, uh we also did one in hungarian and anyway it was just a fun way to show speed and convenience and and to create a smile. And so that's what that stuff's all about. Let's go to a Liz. Good morning, Liz.
0: Good morning. A few years ago, I was sitting in Warden Mart waiting to get an oil change, and it was lunchtime, and I thought, oh, I am hungry. And in comes somebody from Jimmy Jones passing out sandwiches. I thought, wow, that's a wonderful way to advertise. And it sold me on I love your sandwiches. And uh, I just uh, thank you for that. And I was at a football game a, a couple of years ago, too. And here come people from Jimmy John's passing out sandwiches free to people. And, uh, well, I'm sold on your, your sandwiches.
2: Hey, thank you, Liz. Thanks, Liz.
1: And uh, Eric says uh, the best bread I ever had was at Lindenheimer's, I believe. Was, is, what is, is that an L? Lindenheimer's in New Orleans? Are you familiar with that, and have you noticed the importance of water quality?
2: Yeah, for sure, water quality is a big deal with, with bread. It's, it's a real big deal. It's right up there with with very hard winter wheat. Um, you've, you, in order to have texture in bread, you've got to have really hard, hard winter wheat from up northern Minnesota, Canada. So water and wheat are, are the two key components for sure.
1: With a growing number of consumers going meatless, has the company considered uh, releasing a uh, vegan sandwich?
2: You know, you can do a vegan sandwich on your own at Jimmy John's if, if if you're a vegan and you know and you know what your diet is. You can you can do it already. Um, but a specific, you know, we've we've got some vegetarian subs that aren't vegan. They they come with cheese, but you can get my vegetarian uh, the sub sandwich or on the thick sliced nine grain wheat bread w- without the cheese and and without the mayonnaise, and you're vegan. So for true vegans, we've got it for you. And um, uh, so, you know, were there a specific vegetarian centric menu? Not yet at this time. Um, I've worked with some of the tempeh products and some of the 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 the, the, the turkey flavored uh, tofu products, and they're they're fantastic products. Uh, I'm just not I, I'm just not quite there yet. But I agree with you. It's it's real and it's big and and it's on its way. Just like just like the veggie burger.
1: Al is next. Good morning, Al.
2: I had two questions.
3: Uh, first one, I was interested in a little bit of history. Of your dad—did you think uh, his request of you was unreasonable, or and what did he do?
2: Uh, my father was—he uh, he graduated from University of Illinois, um, and he met my mother here at University of Illinois. She—my mother was homecoming queen in 1959. Uh, when my father graduated uh, here from the university, he became a Grolier book salesman. He sold Grolier encyclopedias door to door from about 62 to 67 in 1967 my father founded a small molding company called Capsonic Group uh, and they were pioneers in molding uh, molten plastic around metal inserts and it's a, it was a technology called insert molding which was new at the time and my father was the pioneer of that process. He went on to build that business. Uh, had uh, Family was bankrupt in, in 1972 um, because he wasn't a, a good accountant and didn't manage his cash and I remember that and he was bankrupt again in 1976 and from that day forward uh, he he vowed never to take debt ever again and, and, and to make it happen so uh, my father was a, was a molder he was an entrepreneur uh, and uh, and he, he he ended up becoming quite a successful guy and and he passed away uh, two years ago uh, this October 20th so my dad was quite a gregarious guy and he actually the, the, the University of Illinois Chicago Business School is a lito business school and and he he funded that and uh, and that's that we're pretty proud of that and and I miss him a lot and he was a great guy and pretty he did a lot of with the university as well
1: and uh, zoe is next hello zoe
0: well hello i just wanted to uh, just say how much i admire uh this and um i kind of came late to discovering jimmy johns but i'm I, I just totally love it and i wanted to ask sir if you've ever Considered, I know it would probably be too expensive. But doing anything with organic, I'm, I love your roast beef. Sure, but I, I'm, or I'm having to. I'm having health problems, and I'm having to kind of try to eat uh, more organic. And I wondered if you've thought about that at all.
2: Well, just it, it, it's funny you should say that. My meats are now all natural, um, and and I don't know if all natural is is organic. But no, my meat, my, it's not. It's not. <laughs> no, so, I'm afraid not. Oh, I mean,
0: you know, I mean the term doesn't doesn't mean anything. Legally, but it doesn't mean your meat's not wonderful.
2: No, no, I I hear you and I <laughs> and I understand. Saying. And but you know what? I'm eating the same way you're eating now. I, I've been struggling with my weight my whole life, and and it's a battle. And and the healthier and cleaner I eat, uh, that the easier right. it is for me to manage my weight. And and so I'm with you on the organic side. It, it is very very expensive, and uh, uh, and so because we're in business to be in business, sure. I you know I just I think that that it's that the cost. You know, I think the cost would probably be near. double. Instead of five bucks, it might be ten, maybe not that much. But um, I I think that uh, I think there's room for it. Uh, A friend of mine, Sam Fox, who's a restaurateur in Phoenix, has a a brand called Flower Child, and you could Google it. He's got about six, seven stores, and and they're doing that. But it's a thirteen to fifteen dollar lunch, very successful. But they're in Dallas, they're they're in Phoenix, uh, they're in Santa Monica. You know, so those are markets that can that can take that kind of a punch. Um, But I appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm going to stick with your five dollars. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean to cut her off i thought she was a finish maybe she goes for the uh the big john too i don't know uh <laughs> hey, jeff is next hi jeff
0: hi uh yeah i you may have already touched on this i've been in and out of the of truck but i'm a huge nascar fan i'd like to know uh what jimmy john's uh relationship how he got that started with tony stewart racing and kevin harvick I'll hang up and listen. Thanks.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, sure. That the NASCAR thing started uh, maybe ten years ago. We started with with uh, with uh, Rusty Wallace's brother. I think his name was I I, for, I, I forgot what Rusty Wallace. Rusty Wallace's brother we sponsored him then we did some stuff with Rusty Wallace and then when when Kevin Harvick worked uh, was with Richard Childress uh, racing we did some uh, we did some uh, uh, some sponsorship of Kevin Harvick and then as our business grew and we were able to uh, allocate more advertising dollars to the NASCAR program we did mm-hmm. it and and it was just a high value uh, return on investment on the advertising side and um, and so now uh, then we became a significant sponsor of Kevin Harvick Harvick, and, and then uh, the, the Harvick transferred from Richard Childress Racing uh, to Stuart Haas Racing with Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, both our, our dear friends. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I just talked to Tony yesterday, and uh, Gene Haas is a great guy, and Tony Stewart, uh, they own the team together, and, and they switched to Ford Engines, and and so now we're running, and I think we're sixth in the points for this year, and and Kevin is a world-class driver. He's uh, he, he is one of the top, top, top drivers there is, and if I'm going to do something, I always try to do it with the best of and so Kevin Harvick is that and uh, and I'm a champion of his and it and, and and it's been a great run and so we'll see how we do in the points this year
1: here's a very interesting question uh, considering uh, the way you got uh, started and uh, your high school class etc is how big was the high school class and do you rely on grades and class standing and things like that when you hire uh, even though you didn't do well in school
2: you know what? It was a small class, and um, and do I rely on grades when I hire? I haven't hired in a long, long time, but the but what I look for in, in an individual is is an individual an individual's attitude and ability uh, to make things happen. Um, I would I would be in at a Texas Roadhouse or at a Lone Star Steakhouse or a McDonald's, whatever. And when there was an employee that was naturally going above and beyond, and it was natural for them, I would always try to recruit that employee. So. you you know, grades are great, but, uh, but anymore, it, it's attitude and it's the ability to make things happen in difficult situations and, and, and adapt and, and execute. And so I'm always looking for people that have actually just been through difficult times and, and are able, able to make things happen. And, and grades are important, but they're there's just one part of the dimension. Um, there's a lot more to it than that.
1: Joe in Champaign says, I just want to thank Jimmy John for his generosity to the local schools. My kids have been in schools in which he provided bus transportation for events at the end of the year to Six Flags and other events that would not have been possible were it not for his gifts. Uh, Thank you very much.
2: Oh, You're welcome. You're Mm -hmm. welcome. It's been a fun deal. And uh, as
1: long as we're talking about that, uh, we mentioned the Elgin Academy, I believe already, the Francis Nelson uh, Smile uh, Healthy Dental Clinic, the... Bowls of Honor Foundation, the Crisis Nursery, you even help get your uh street paved on armory Avenue didn't
2: you yeah I did I, I actually paved Fox drive and I painted and I paved armory as well and the city was nice <laughs> enough to let me do it and uh, <laughs> oh, but we're, were. We're, we're bringing so many people into champagne uh, to sell them a franchise and Fox drive was really in tough shape and uh, and I and uh, you know it's all perception and we're trying to sell these guys a franchise so we paved the street in front of in front of our office building and uh, and actually we're just we're just building we're just remodeling out 22 Two Fox Drive. Now we've got a uh, hundred and thirty seats in our current building, and we're putting in a hundred uh, space for a hundred and thirty more in our new building at twenty two zero two. So uh, we're pretty excited about that expansion. We should move into that around the spring of this year. It's pretty exciting.
1: Eric is next. Good morning, Eric.
2: Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning.
5: Hey, Jimmy. I got to first of all, I want to let you know I, I graduated from Illinois in eighty eight, and uh, attended from eighty four to eighty eight. So I was introduced to your sandwich shop by a teammate of mine on the wrestling team. He was from Charleston, Illinois, and he said, you've got to stop by this place. It's unbelievable. And uh, you were actually making my sandwich back in 1984. So That would have uh, been pretty, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's transpired. I moved out to the East Coast, and I started a business, and entrepreneurial, and was bought by a private equity company, and now I'm working for them. So I have a couple questions for you, A. You're
1: going to have to uh, hurry. Uh, Eric, go ahead, but I wish you'd you have to hurry. Then we'll have, probably have to have a quick answer, because we only have about two minutes left.
5: Okay. Well, first of all, uh, college education is a college education worth 150 grand for 4 years and number 2 how do you find working for somebody else when you've been uh, doing your own thing for so many years?
2: Well, uh, different strokes for different folks as far as college goes. You know, different things to different people. And, and, and so, and then as far as working for somebody else, I, I, I sold down. I own 35% of Jimmy John's right now, and I sold down last October. And uh, and so, I'm I, I'm running the company. I'm chairman of the board. My president and CEO, we're, we're really running the company, and they're just helping us do things uh, that we didn't know about. And, 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 th- and they run 26,000 locations. So, it's extraordinary and they're great partners and um and we're real and I'm actually really fortunate. If I wasn't excited about it, I wouldn't have kept 35%. I would have sold it all. But uh, the business was way bigger than me and it's nice to have big brother now. So, uh thank you for asking that question.
5: Right. Yeah, my daughter works in the Frederick store, Frederick, Maryland. So, she's a she's a sandwich maker for you.
2: Oh, right on. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Yep. And, uh, we're in
1: the uh, final minute. I wanted to take another call, but I don't have time. Just let me, uh, thank you so much for your time. You're a busy, busy guy. And, uh, as I, uh, guessed, uh, there are a lot of people out there that don't know your story. And I'm uh, so pleased that we were able to, uh, to tell it this morning.
2: Oh, thank you very much. It's a, it's a privilege to be here. And, um, uh, it's, it, to, to sit back and think about all the history and talk about it. I don't do it much. So thank you for having me. It was, it was a romantic morning for me. <laughs> thank you.
1: And you didn't even drown out here on our little, uh, moat that we have before.
2: <laughs> no, I didn't melt. <laughs> I, I did, made did,
1: it. did a lot of, uh, but stop into Jimmy John's. I'll probably see you there because I'm there most of the time here on DWS in Champaign Urbana. Welcome back to uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin, and as promised, we have uh, two good guests today. I hope you enjoyed uh, Jimmy John and Champaign County State's Attorney Julia Reitz is in the studio with me as well. And uh, Julia comes by every month or so, and uh, we talk about the happenings uh, in not only in our community, but uh, crime and that kind of uh, the law and all those uh, kinds of things uh, all over, wherever we. Decide to go with our conversation, and we always invite you at three five six nine three nine seven, or the Castle Heating and Cooling text line is 3515357. Uh, so if you have something you would like to ask uh, Julia Reitz, uh, just uh, jump right in. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Nice to have you here.
6: Oh, it's great to be here.
1: You didn't get uh, drowned on the way in, uh, I see.
6: Oh, uh, well, we need it, right? So yeah, no complaining. Do. I don't know if
1: it came uh, late or not for the uh, mm-hmm. for the farm folks. But uh, you were telling me before we went on that this is Amnesty Week. What is? Yes. I, don't, I don't even know what that is.
6: So Circuit Clerk Katie Blakeman, um, who is responsible for collecting the fines and fees that are court ordered in our criminal cases, one of her many responsibilities. Um, She and I have uh, collaborated on this. She primarily, I'm going to give her a lot of the credit. Um, If you are ordered to pay court costs and fines and fees in a criminal case and you don't pay them, under the law, there's uh, interest that's added on and it can end up being quite expensive. So um, generally, we have a um, contract with a a collections agency, basically, Harris and & Harris, and we have uh, worked with them to agree that this week, if you have that statutory interest, that if you come in and you pay the base fine fee cost amount in full, then we'll waive the statutory interest. And that can end up saving people hundreds and hundreds of dollars, some people even thousands of dollars, depending on um, the age of the debt and the amount of, of the underlying um, court-ordered fine or fee. And this can help people get their license, driver's licenses back. Um, if you didn't pay a traffic ticket and their statutory interest tacked on top of it, that can prevent you from getting a valid driver's license and end up creating more legal problems. It can help people get their records expunged. Um, and this is part of her expungement fair that's coming up where um, she's brought lawyers together um, to help people sit down and look at their criminal histories and see if there's anything that they can have expunged or sealed to help them move forward and um, get jobs and what do you have to do what
1: do you have to do to have something expunged
6: well it depends on the the offense Um, first of all if it is uh, an offense where a person was not convicted then uh, those are police records, and um, those can generally be expunged, again, depending on the type of offense. Um, if you have court supervision for a misdemeanor, you have to successfully complete everything that you are court ordered to do. And then there's different time frames. You have to wait a certain amount of time. So there are things um, that a person needs to sit down and look at the law. And that's why we have lawyers who are coming together to sit down and help um, people determine if they're eligible for expungement um, and so but a part of that is that you have to have all those obligations completed and one of those obligations is those court-ordered fines and fees so this week um today's the last day people can come into the courthouse if they're able to pay in full and save some money by avoiding that statutory interest that's added on top um, it's been a i think a very productive week she's kept me advised um, People have been coming in and taking advantage of that and saving themselves lots of money, um, and you know, cleaning up our books. Frankly, I'll, I'll, you know, be honest about it. Part of it is that we've got a lot of outstanding debt out there, and we want to help people get out from under it, um, and and then also clear up our books a bit.
1: What happens to the money when it uh, comes back?
6: When it's collected, mm-hmm. um, the law. Divides it up amongst the county, the arresting agency, the state. Um, there's different pots, basically, that different pieces of it go to, um, and that's all by statute and the legislature. So it ends up, you know, being dispersed out. That's you know part of her responsibility.
1: Right. Uh, three five six nine three nine seven. If you want to uh, ask uh, Julia a question or uh, make a comment, uh, please uh, feel free to do so. I want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh Las Vegas. That uh, was uh, that was uh, really uh, yeah. something. I guess uh, they're calling it uh, the worst uh, mass shooting in uh, modern uh, history. And until
6: I, the next one, unfortunately. Next, yeah, yeah, and
1: yeah, Well uh, there is no way to stop these kinds of things, though. I, Doesn't I mean, there have uh, to be? <laughs> yeah, I,
6: I, I don't know. I mean, how, I you know. Okay. How, how
1: can you do it?
6: You you know. i this guy was nuts. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. Is you know, I know I'm I'm almost um, riveted to social media and watching all these interviews of survivors and of the families of victims and all the efforts that law enforcement um, out there in Las Vegas and the federal agencies are doing to try to track down um, leads and get into the mind of a psychopath. And I don't know you know how we do that but i feel like there must be you know there must be a way um we have to we have to keep trying and we have to talk about it and um we can't just make it let it become part of the norm of our society i think that's probably one of the biggest fears um that that we have is that it could end up becoming you know, it's not on the front page, it's on the second page, and then it's on the second section, and, you know, so on and, and so on. And the same
1: on. thing is happening in uh, the Congress, it seems, with uh, each uh, time. There's this, there's this uh, great uh, rush to, uh, to talk about uh, gun control or whatever uh, for a while, and then it seems to go away until the next time.
6: Right. And I don't—you know, I'm not sitting here—we're not sitting here saying we have the answers. No, but I,
1: I don't know what you there,
6: do. There has to be— you know there has to be something um my heart goes out to these people again i've just been just so riveted by um the stories and the emotion and i you know the the trauma these poor people have gone through and will continue to go through um we have to be there for them and we have to make it mean something
1: let's go to the uh, phones for uh, Bob uh, good morning bob
5: yeah good morning uh, jim and uh, julia good morning question uh, regarding, I've got a court case coming up here, Yes, and I'm wondering uh, how I can get a subpoena to get some records for my defense. Who who uh, does the subpoena? Can I get a subpoena on my own, or do I have to have an attorney for that?
6: Well, so if you have a criminal case, I, I'm first of all going to say I can't talk with you about the facts of it, of course, because sure. um, if you're the defendant, I really can't talk to you about it, so I can kind of talk with you in general concepts. Um, about records. So if it's a criminal case, you have a right to have an attorney, and if you can't afford one, um, one can be appointed for you, and your attorney can do those sorts of things. In criminal cases, we are required to provide the defense with everything that we have. So as far as police reports and evidence and that sort of thing, um, the prosecution is required to provide that um, to the defense or make it accessible if it's evidence. Um, so that's part of the process as, the, as a case moves along. Um, and then if there's additional information, yes, the attorney can subpoena the police agency. Um, that can be done through the court system. If someone's representing themselves, they can um, file those documents on their own. Um, so there are processes to receive all that. But we, um, again, as part of our obligation under the law, are required to provide everything we have um, to the defense so that the defense can adequately um, prepare um, for, the, for the process.
5: Okay, well, this this is a traffic case. And essentially what I'm trying to do is get some records regarding the training that the officer had and uh, records on the radar mm-hmm. equipment that was used, those kinds of things now i 've got a docket call next week. Do I just show up there and ask for these things at that time
6: well so again i'm i 'm going to um, preface by saying i 'm not giving you legal advice because technically sure. i 'm on the other side um, and but you certainly you know so i 'm going to just i 'm going to say it this way: Someone who wants those those documents certainly could uh, make that request to the judge in court. Um, or alternatively directly to the police agency or simply to the prosecutor handling the case because we want to be fair and certainly you know if there's an issue that's involved we want to explore it and make sure that we are you know handling the case appropriately if there was a problem we want to know that and so that we can make the right decision so you should feel free okay now i'm talking to you directly you should feel free to talk to my prosecutor if if you're comfortable doing that as well
1: appreciate uh, the call uh, thank you uh sean is next good morning sean
6: yeah um yeah i'd, I'd like to make a comment and then i have a
3: question sure some comment is the first comments on the gun issues and the gun violence we've had several cases here recently where somebody's been picked up for gun a gun crime and then they've been released and then they turn around and commit another act and recently some that's resulted in a death if we want to to get on gun crime we need to get some better stuff and you know, better convictions right off, and that's just my comment. But my question is, I'd like an explanation or a justification on how someone can be sentenced to four months for murder of any degree, of any kind of circumstance. Taking someone's life, if, if your life's not in imminent danger beyond any way to get out of that or any reasonable thing, surely carries a penalty more severe than four months.
6: Okay, so no one was time. sentenced to well, four just, months just, for just, murder. You know, I, okay, I understand the this, case let that let you're... Me talk, t- why don't you let me talk and ask uh, a question? Hold on. Then uh, I'm oh, asking you a question, and then you can answer me after you're done. Let me talk. Uh, uh, Sean, citizens,
1: wait a minute. Uh, Sean, I believe I'm running uh, this program. Uh, she's uh, trying to a- answer what you just uh, asked, I, I, I haven't
3: asked a question. How can she answer me if I haven't asked the
1: question? <laughs> uh, Be qu- respectful.
3: I just want to ask a question.
1: Well, uh, ask it.
3: Question, uh, okay, I'm asking. And there's other citizens in this county that's getting multiple years for nonviolent crimes, theft, drug possession, traffic violation. That's not a question. nobody would, I'm, I'm, you guys are there again, can I ask the question? There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there I've talked to that have no idea that when a crime is committed against them, that you can't hire your own counsel, you can't have an investigator, you can't submit any evidence. We're relying solely on a state's attorney, And and at times it's an assistant state's attorney. Um, you're elected to protect us and give us justice for crimes committed upon us. And how-
1: Well, I tried to uh, get him to uh, stop, but well, it didn't uh, sound okay. like he was going to. Well, go ahead and no, uh, answer the, uh, why don't you. Uh,
6: I'm just going uh, to preface it. The first question
1: was, uh, how can a person uh, be uh, charged with murder and get only uh, four months?
6: Okay, so I'm going to preface it, first of all, by acknowledging that the caller is a distraught relative who lost someone that he loves, and I respect that, and I'm, very sympathetic to him and his family for their loss. Um, My job is to using the evidence that we have and the law as it's written um, to try to get the best outcome that I can for any particular case. And we always start out saying we cannot make you any promises. Um, The law really favors the defense. That's because we're the government and we have this awesome power, as he discussed, to incarcerate someone, take away your liberty, take away your property, um, require you to do things you don't want to do. And so the defense, um, the law really favors the defense. And it's not about the value of an individual's life. You know, Um, if that were the case, there would be no I mean, there's there's no time Mm -hmm. in prison that can make up for the loss of a loved one. Um, it's a very imperfect system. You know, yes, there are people who go to prison for property crimes for a longer time than people who go to prison for other things that may be more serious. But each case has to be looked at individually on its own merits, on its own facts, on its own evidence. That's the way the system is set up. It's not something I created. Um, it's imperfect. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry that this case has caused this family so much hardship and trauma. Uh, but, you know, frankly, we've done the best we can. So, when he says, "How can somebody be sentenced to 4 months for murder?" That's not what the sentence was. It was 4 years, which is in the sentencing range for the charge as for the crime as it was charged, second-degree murder. That's an appropriate sentence under the law for that range um and it the the in that particular case the defendant took responsibility pleaded guilty was convicted is a convicted felon is going to go to prison the 4 months part is just this person has been sitting in county jail waiting sentencing and she gets credit for the time she's been in thus far and so the rest of the time because she's been in waiting Um, it's going to end up being four months. But to say she was sentenced to four months is really inaccurate. Again, I'm not criticizing. I understand and I respect their trauma. Um, But frankly, it's an imperfect system. And that's, you know, really the best answer that I can give you. We do, we put our hearts and souls into these cases, truly. Um, And I, you know, I can't can't really say it any other way than that. but I can never promise anybody, you know, yes, gun violence is a problem in our community. These cases are difficult to prove. Witnesses are reluctant. Um, the cases are complicated. They rely, you know, the convictions rely on a lot of things out of our control. Um, but we do truly put our hearts and souls into these cases. Um, and again, respect and, and sympathize with the loss victims are suffering.
1: We'll uh, take a a break here leading up to the uh, news at uh, 10.30 and be back uh, with uh, Julia Reitz uh, right after that. It is 10.31, the news headlines with Brian Barnhart, back with the Champaign County State's Attorney, Julia Reitz, and your calls right after this. We're back on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guest is Champaign County State's Attorney, Julia Reitz. We have uh, several uh, calls and uh, several uh, text messages that I'll ask uh, Julia to respond to here in just a moment. But first, let's go to Stan. Good morning, Stan.
0: Morning, Jim. Julia, thanks for taking my call. I have a comment and a question. Yes. First, the comment. Jim, you said you didn't know how to uh, stop uh, mass shootings. Ask Australia. They haven't had a mass shooting since 1996 Mm -hmm. and people can still go hunting. Julia question yes sir uh, about 15 years ago the state of Illinois passed a law saying that if anybody tried to help people prevent uh, to hide their assets from uh, forfeiture mm-hmm. due to uh, going to a nursing home uh, there there was fines and penalties mm-hmm Do you know anybody that's been fined or penalized for that, and is that part of your office's pure Hmm. uh, option?
6: That is certainly not anything that we have dealt with directly. Um, I think that off the top of my head and based on other situations, that might be something that the Attorney General's office would be more involved in um, as a sort of a Medicaid or Medicare fraud situation where someone's trying to hide their assets so that the government pays Um, I believe that the attorney general's office, they have a division uh, that deals with Medicaid and Medicare fraud. And I think that would be probably the agency that would deal with that sort of an investigation and prosecution.
0: I just got an advertisement in the mail Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday from a law firm uh, having a seminar showing people how to do this sort of thing are we trying to uh, save tax dollars by going after these people or is this just a law that has been forgotten
6: yeah that's one again I that's not something that my office has ever dealt with um, and I think it's probably a resource question and of course you know there are laws and then there are lawyers who make a living helping people um, work around I don't want to say work around but you know get the best benefit they can out of those laws. And that's, you know, that's what lawyers do. We look at the law and we, we see how it can work. And so I'm not, you know, I don't know if we're concerned that those lawyers are suggesting something illegal. But, you know, certainly, I think those kinds of cases, definitely, I'm, you know, I'm going to go with the Attorney General's office. Um, I don't know how much resources or how many cases they prosecute. It's not something I've been directly involved in.
1: Speaking of the Attorney General, this is uh, getting to be uh, pretty interesting uh, now with uh, all those uh, people on all sides uh, saying, I want to be... uh, I don't. You don't?
6: I'm not running for Attorney General. I was going
1: to ask you a question. (laughs) I thought I'd get a scoop today that uh, you were going to go.
6: Oh, I've given you some scoops over the years. That is not one of them. That's not one of them. No. Um, I you know I D- think does it
1: matter much to your office and the uh, the way it operates uh, who the attorney general is
6: oh yes I mean first of all as a group um, states attorneys we have a relationship with the attorney general's office um, and we work together with them we were actually just a group of us elected states attorneys were just in Springfield last week meeting with the attorney general's office about um, opioid litigation um, that's something I think people might have seen in the news. Um, a number of counties in Illinois have already filed um, lawsuits against opio- opioid manufacturers uh, because of the opioid addiction crisis that we are facing across the country. Um, other other communities, uh, states um, and some state attorneys general have uh, been proceeding again with litigation against the opioid ma- manufacturers. And so we had a meeting last week with uh, our local our uh, Illinois Attorney General's office um, as a group of state's attorneys. And uh, we work together with them on a number of things. There are, as I've discussed with the last caller, there are some cases, some um, situations that they focus on, um, more statewide, multi-county type situations, um, and uh, consumer protection, fraud cases. Oftentimes when you get those, uh, you know, fake emails or, give me money and I'll give you money kind of things. I always direct people to the AG's office. Um, and so it is important who the AG is uh, to us locally and, of course, to the state. Um, and so it will be very interesting to see uh, where this election goes. It's a, a wide open race at this point.
1: That yeah, sure looks like it. Uh, from John, uh, Jim, will you ask uh, Julia the question that I asked yesterday about Which area law enforcement agencies require their off-duty officers to carry their weapons? I thought he was talking Mm. mostly about the Champaign and Urbana Police. Uh, uh, Off-duty officers uh, can carry, can they not?
6: Yeah, and I I can't tell you, I don't think anybody requires that their officers carry off-duty, but they certainly are um, allowed under the law to carry off-duty, and in... More, they they are not required to um, abide by the signs that if you have a concealed carry permit, um, the law says a business can put a sign up saying no guns. Um, police officers are not required to follow those um, those placards if they're carrying off duty, and then of course they have uh, requirements under their department policies about uh, when and where and circumstances and that sort of thing, but I don't know that any agency requires it of them.
1: Have any tickets ever been issued in Champaign County to those illegally using handicapped parking spaces?
6: Oh, yes, I'm sure. I don't have that off the top of my head, but um, that's a a legitimate ticket that certainly can be written under the vehicle code um, or under city traffic or parking ordinances as well.
1: My friend uh, was told uh, that the spaces could not be enforced in a strip mall lot because the mall did not have their did not have mm-hmm. their own security uh, service. It was inside Champaign County city limits. I don't do you know anything mm, about that? No,
6: I don't know anything about no. that.
1: What is the uh, difference from Brian? What is the difference in sentences uh, for murder? Different different sentences mm-hmm. for murder other than a premeditation. He says.
6: Well, okay, so first-degree murder is obviously um, the the mur- the, the worst. most serious charge. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, the sentencing range for first-degree murder is 20 to 60 years. Um, under the law, you do not get day-for-day day good time. There are enhancements to that. If a murder is committed with a firearm, um, there's an additional 25, t- 25 years added on to that. So the Um, minimum sentence for a murder committed with a firearm in Illinois is 45 to 85 years. Mm. Um, Then it goes down significantly um, when you go from first-degree murder, which requires um, intent or knowledge, um, uh, or a murder committed in the course of another felony. Uh, The next level down would be second-degree murder, uh, which is a much lower level of offense. It's a class one felony. Um, the sentencing range is four to 15 years. And um, it it requires, um, that's the, the sort of situation when someone um, believes that they um, need to use deadly force to defend themselves, but their belief is unreasonable or they're acting out of a sudden provocation um, such as somebody comes in to find their spouse in bed with someone else. Um, that could be a justification for second-degree murder. Um, and it jumps again down from that 20 to to um, 60 with no day-for-day good time to 4 to 15 with good time credit. Um, so a significant jump, and that's um, something I think that sometimes causes people concern. And then the next level down would be involuntary manslaughter or reckless homicide where someone's acting with a willful or wanton disregard for the safety of others. That goes um, down, I believe, to a class three felony, uh, which is uh, three to five years. I'm trying to think off the top of mm-hmm. my head, but um, it jumps down significantly as you go down in the level of Planning, knowledge, intent, mental state really is the
1: What difference. if uh, two uh, teenage uh, boys are out and they one of them has a gun and he's just uh, – there's target practice or something and he uh, accidentally uh, shoots the other guy and kills him? Is that uh, – w- what happens there?
6: Well, the question is um, whether it was an accident or whether they were doing something reckless. Um, that might be where or we – Like playing Russian roulette yeah, or one of those mm-hmm. things? Yeah, or, you know, if – I mean if the gun accidentally discharges that's an accident. If the um if they're shooting in a you know what seems to be in an open fa- I'm trying to come up with a fact pattern in my you right, know head as far as a shooting goes but uh-huh. you know probably some of the reckless discharge they're they're wrestling over the gun um that's a situation we've had in the past um And the gun goes off, Um, that could be considered a reckless discharge, willful or wanton disregard for the safety of others. Um, Somebody shoots up in the air and the bullet is going to come down. That could be arguably reckless. Um, That's a willful or wanton disregard for the safety of others who are in the area.
1: It's a 1048, it's 67 degrees, and we'll take a quick break here and come right back with uh, Champaign County State's Attorney, Julia Reitz. 1053, we're with uh, Champaign County State's Attorney, Julia Reitz. Eric is next. Good morning, Eric. Uh,
4: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, There's a lot that can be done, but the uh, NRA has so bribed so many of our politicians that they're not going to do it. For instance, the the gun seller is the last stop before some maniac walks off with a gun and commits multiple murders. Mm-hmm. And if they incentivize the gun uh, dealer to call the FBI that there's a suspicion about this person because he's bought several rifles, but the background check doesn't even include the fact that a man owns thirty or forty rifles. Yeah, and, but, and that's just right. that's just crazy.
6: Yeah, I agree. Okay, I let's, mean, let him, let's
1: let Let's let her respond. I oh. think
6: I, I agree with you, and I think you know in this situation, in this uh, Las Vegas situation, that's something people are looking at the number of um, of firearms that this individual brought, bought over the course of a year. You know, and then of course the alternative argument is going to be, but there were other mass shootings where somebody only bought one. Um but we have to do something. We we can't just you know, you're absolutely right. We have to we have to get out from under um this past that we you know, where we've just done nothing and we, we just have to do something. We can't continue this way.
4: And Julia uh, Lapierre says he wants to discuss regulation of the uh the uh, adapter that makes the uh uh assault rifle mm-hmm. even more deadly right but the fact is he could have uh he could have done that before but he's just lying because he ha- he's just trying to curry favor and the profits are more important to him and he is an accomplished uh con- he sponsors m- murder on a mass scale so okay, thank uh, you for your time well
1: thank,
6: thank you, you eric thank uh, you for your thoughts go. eric and your passion
1: uh, 10.55, one final break here for just a couple of minutes and back with uh, Julia. And uh, Julia, I hear that you were on the uh, Kickapoo Rail Trail the other day.
6: I was. I was uh, listening to you talk with uh, Jimmy this morning about his uh, investment, and my husband and I went out uh, this weekend and uh, rode from our house um, down to the rail trail and then Rode it down to St Joe, um Do you and, live along
1: the trail someplace
6: uh, well, we live out um towards the Sydney area, and so we rode from home out to it and There's connected trail, on huh? it um, and uh what a beautiful uh, resource, in addition to Champaign County. There were so many people, everybody was happy saying hello, there was a a man on a unicycle <laughs> if that a if unicycle. you're listening, Mr. the <laughs> gentleman on the unicycle, that was. Um Quite impressive impressive um, and oh people with dogs and we rode into St. Joe and had a really nice lunch at the wheelhouse I'm going to give him a plug because my friend Tracy Lips is a um, part of that uh, business and then we had a really nice visit with uh, Tammy and Mike Vogus Tammy's the mayor over there in St. Joe and rode back um, and it's just really something people should take advantage of a really nice uh, resource for our community.
1: Uh, Carl, you are next. Uh, you have about a minute, so go ahead quickly. Okay, I
6: can talk in 30 seconds,
1: Jim. That'll do. This is and Carl. Good. Hi,
5: Carl. Okay. I, uh, I'm in daily devotion
3: every day to learn from the mistakes of the past so I don't make the same in the future. And that's what uh, elected officials are there for and anyone else, is to learn from the past so we can do have a greater future.
6: That is great advice, Carl.
3: a terrible thing that happened, but it, it also as we learn how can we do
6: better? That, that we is, will do better. That is a great, that's great advice and a great way to, to end this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you very much for those thoughts. You're welcome. I agree completely. I appreciate it, Hi. Carl. Thank you. Right.
1: So uh, you uh, are also a uh, horseback rider. I know that, but uh, mm-hmm. no, uh, no no horses on the trail. <laughs> no
6: horses on the trail, but no, nothing, bikes, uh, nothing
1: motorized either, walkers, I don't believe, right?
6: Right. Nothing motorized. Um But really, again, I really urge people, especially, you know, find some joy. Get out there and enjoy what we have. This is a great community to live in, and that's a wonderful resource uh, that everyone can take advantage of. After
1: leaving your office and uh, and the jails and the uh, courtroom and all that, people are happy on the trail. (laughs) They
6: are. and (laughs) That makes
1: you feel good, right?
6: There's a lot of things to be happy about, even in the midst of all of All of the trauma that we're we're experiencing. So let's focus on some of that.
1: Exactly. More good people out there than bad. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you, Julia. Let's uh, do it again next month.
6: Anytime you ask, Jim.
1: And the news is next from CBS on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana.